Good evening, afternoon, night, morning. We're finding a way to watch or listen to this podcast. It is me, Omar from the Hardware Pod, and I know that again we got another uh, got another uh, still picture overlay for our podcast on YouTube. I know we have more listeners on YouTube than on Spotify, uh, and it's not because I don't want I don't want you to see the uh, the pearly white smiles of me and my uh, familiar guest. Bobby from uh, TNT College Football. It's just some connection issues. So don't be alarmed. Um, this isn't a permanent change. We're just making do with the situation right now. But like I said, I'm joined by a familiar guest of the podcast. And I'm just excited to talk football with him again. You know, just being back into the swing. Um, and just kind of frantically scheduling podcasts and discussions about anything college football as this offseason. I'm excited to have Bobby from the TNT College Football Podcast back on again. Uh, Bobby, how's everything going? Great, Omar. Again, as always, thank you for having me on the show. It's always a privilege to join you and always love our conversations on air and off air. Really looking forward to talking football today. Yeah, I know like season uh, season starts in six months, but I mean, I mean, I'm just itching for it, honestly, just itching for the season to start, itching for anything that will bring us closer to the season, like schedule releases. Hopefully the American Conference releases theirs this week. Time's running out for them. I mean, they they released it in February last year. I have, uh, of course, more um a more vested interest this year in, in the AAC schedule with Army joining the conference this year. So hopefully they release that. But anything to bring us closer to the offseason, like such as game news, conference news, and whatnot, we're all just itching for it. Absolutely, I I can't wait for that schedule release personally, just because there's a handful of teams on that list that I'm itching to see in person maybe even as early as next year. Yeah, no, I agree. Same here for me. It's like, um, I guess I, I know, I know that there's like a lot of destinations that I guess the good thing about the American move is it's, it's, there's a lot of destinations that are easy to travel for army fans across the country, whether they're, it's like the temple or this temple that's in the Northeast. Um, that's a manageable trip or just places that are near army bases like UTSA, which we've played multiple times in the past. Um, and we're actually undefeated. At, at the Alamo Dome, we're three and zero there, so that's a, that's Mikey Stadium South um, to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to stir up UTSA fans, but uh, and then of course, like the various destinations in the South, like Charlotte, UAB, all manageable trips from Army from um, Army Post. So I'm excited too, just um, just to see how the schedule shakes out. But uh, but yeah, like speaking of conference schedules and conference sh- conference shifting, excuse me, uh, the SEC. I guess the, the first topic we're going to discuss today. The SEC released, um, I guess, a report that they're trying to shift to a nine game conference schedule by 2026, and it may seem like small news, but this could have some reverberations for rivalries potentially. Um, of course, I think the the group of five could be impacted here as well so i mean i, I want to know your thoughts bobby on the um the s on this potential move by the sec the, i have two sides to this personally i one part of me says it's about time just because it only makes sense to do it that way i mean to be completely honest i think if they continue to add to the conference the way that everybody seems to be projecting it could be a completely conference schedule at some point, but we don't, we don't want to speculate on that or talk about that. But then the other part of me is a little bit worried. And when I say I'm worried, I mean more so for the, from the smaller school perspective, from the group of five and FCS opponents. Uh, I'm a former division three basketball coach and 
every year I had to play, we had to play a couple games against either Division One or Division Two teams to make money, just to be able to not to not to fully fund our program, but it, it was a substantial amount of money that really really helped us. And and, and I I know that these, especially the FCS teams, those games we might complain about them as fans seeing. Alabama play whoever that second to last week of the season or every other of all. A lot of the other SEC teams do that too. But people also have to think like these schools need that game. Like it is extremely important to their existence as a program to, to fund their program and to do what they're trying to do. So like I said, I have two sides to it. As a fan, you want to see the best game. And SEC versus SEC predominantly is fantastic football. So most weeks we're going to get good games. So having that extra game is really going to, it's really been going to be good for fame. But then at the same time too, I look at it at, from my former coaching self, knowing that those smaller schools and smaller budget programs, they need those games. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, too, because the question becomes, like, which game gets cut off the schedule? Like, um, I don't think the rivalries like Georgia Tech-Georgia, um, Kentucky, Louisville, and Clemson-South Carolina will be particularly impacted. Um, but, like you said, like, the FCS games, where it's, like, either not just not the FCS, but I know I think Ross Dellinger came out with a report today about how mm-hmm. a group of five programs are just honestly, like, getting the, the brunt of – um, I guess the worst parts of this new age of college football, the worst, uh, the worst effects of it with the transfer portal, portal and NIL, uh, where these games are really important, um, the paycheck games. And that's, that's, you know, one more, I guess it's one more game or one less game that, uh, you know, like you said, funds other athletics or funds other athletic departments and everything or uh, funds facilities um, for, uh, and whatnot, because those games are, you know, we, we don't see what I, we see the bottom line in terms of uh, the money paid, but we don't know where that money goes to and the impact it has. And it does have a huge impact on these programs. So it, it's just, it's just interesting. But for me, um, it's like, I kind of, I kind of fail to see like, I, like, like you say it's about time, but I kind of fail to see like, I guess the value. Cause like a, a term that I use a lot with this like conference realignment cycle is manufactured. And it's like, you, for me, I guess maybe it's just looking at the new membership of the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma. It's like that extra game is potentially a Texas Vanderbilt game or Oklahoma versus Kentucky, where it's like that's highly manufactured. It's like, you know, yes, like it's not as bad as like these big 10 matchups, but it's like it's TV inventory that isn't really asked for. I mean, I that, that's this is my opinion. You know, it's like these matchups that aren't really asked for. It's like I, I feel like this extra game isn't bringing like more Alabama, Florida's, more Tennessee, Arkansas's, I guess, but more games like that. You know, so more manufactured type SEC games. I, I get that, and and that's that's a good point that you make. Um, like you said, I mean, who who's really looking forward to say a, ten, a Texas versus Vanderbilt type game? And but at the at the same time we we could get we could get a a, a good game out of it we'll, we'll see I mean it's it's time time will tell um and, and speaking to the rivalry perspective like like you were I I absolutely agree I I think it's gonna be 
very difficult for, well, I shouldn't say very difficult, but I just don't see them taking away the Georgia-Georgia Tech game, Kentucky-Louisville, Clemson-South Carolina. But at the same time, you look at if these power conferences expand uh, the way they are, maybe those rivalries could go by the wayside just because these teams might say, we're already playing a really tough conference schedule. We don't need to add another power five type game against a good team. I, I hope that that doesn't happen because as we all know, rivalries are what one of the things that makes college football so fantastic. Um, so you just, like you, I hope that that does not happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I'm optimistic like you that those games won't go by the wayside. Uh, something that's occurring to me, I guess, as we talk about this game is um, is I think programs that do benefit are, you know, UMass and UConn, where now group of fives are going to be scrambling, not scrambling, I, should, I don't think it's a good word, but we'll be looking for an, an extra, a lot of programs will be looking for an extra non-conference game to schedule. Um, so independent programs like UMass and UConn can benefit in the wake of that. Uh, especially with Army leaving independence for the AAC. So I mean, that is that is one, I think, one positive that I can see out of this. We may get more, uh, I guess, blockbuster uh, group of five matchups, um, but mm-hmm. may, maybe that's a stretch, I guess, like um, between like great group of five programs and everything. But um, yeah, that's, I guess, that's only positive, I guess. Like, I mean, not, I shouldn't say only positive. That's like one, I guess, positive that I can, I guess, look forward to as a college football fan. Absolutely. I mean, you you love to see the the big time programs play other big time programs, and that even, like you said, it trickles trickles down. Trickle down might sound bad, but at the G five level, seeing the the marquee programs play against each other that that's also something that would be fantastic. And I'm speaking from a UConn perspective because I cover them as closely as I do on my podcast. In their future, their future schedule is filled with plenty of really good G five matchups. Um, Liberty, as they they've played Liberty before, the new one that we're going to talk about later against Delaware. That's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, you can go down the line. This year they're playing at UAB, so there there's some really interesting opportunities there. Temple, Buffalo, they're playing them down uh, this year and down the road as well. So. Some good opportunities there from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially with the Americans staying at four uh, conference games despite having 14 members. I know you mentioned Temple, and I think that they're doing that as sort of a, I wouldn't say maybe compromise, maybe concession to having both Army and Navy, two of the most marketable group of fives. It's not the most marketable group of fives, um, you know, uh, so like, you know, you, the UConn being able to play those schools in the American uh, with four with a four game non conference schedules too, uh, definitely definitely helps a lot. Um, and I think I think Conference USA also will have will remain with a four game non conference schedule. I think even with the addition of Kennesaw State. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, so I mean, it just it it just benefits a lot. I guess Kennesaw State and Delaware, I should mention too, so they're at eleven. So it will be an eight game conference schedule. So um, yeah, I I hundred percent agree with you on that front. Um, going on to another topic um, that came up today. Um, actually, yeah, today that was hot off the presses. It's just I think it's funny how people can just like I guess 
spread this stuff i guess like because honestly like where this where this story came from i don't think it was intended to be spread like as, as news because it from what it sounded like it was an alumni meeting in new york city that this news broke and it just seemed like it was supposed to be like behind closed doors but people go and tell the masses i, I just think it's funny how news like that spreads um <laughs> so i uh so i guess for context uh there was a tweet today uh that's me- that mentioned that uh, I think it was athletic director or president. I think it's athletic director for Northwestern announced to a, a bunch of alumni that Northwestern would be playing a game at Lambeau field this year. Um, most likely against Wisconsin. They have a home game against Wisconsin. So it makes the most sense for them to play Wisconsin at Lambeau field. The situation with Ryan, with Ryan field is a pretty crazy one because Northwestern is going to be without a home for the next two years. And they have not announced a home schedule yet. Of course, the other side of things, Kansas announced their home schedule and they uh, with the biggies or sorry, with the, excuse me, the Big 12's conference um, conference schedule release. They announced their home schedule. They announced uh, their home schedule and where the games will be played and what dates. And on the flip side, it's a complete mess for Northwestern. And they've done the opposite thing where there's just a lot of speculation. And now this news of a Lambeau Field game that no one asked for um, hosted, quote unquote, hosted. By Northwestern. So, Bobby, I want to know your thoughts of this as pretty much the the resident North or uh, Midwesterner here. Absolutely, I I live in Illinois and I've been to Ryan Field. I saw arguably the worst football game ever played when Michigan and Northwestern uh, played a ten to nine overtime uh, victory for Michigan. It was three to three heading into overtime. A horrendous football game, but that's not Ryan Field's fault. Ryan Field is, was a fantastic venue, just really, really historical type vibes and everything that you got from it. Just fantastic. But I also understand why Northwestern is going the direction they're going with a new stadium. Obviously, you, you want to have the best of the best, and the, the, the upgrade that they're getting is huge. If, if you know anything about Chicago, uh, sports. Um, the way this is unfolding doesn't surprise me one bit, though. Uh, the Bears, for a, a while now, have been going back and forth about building a new stadium, and it, 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 it's a mess. Uh, they, they've talked about building it in multiple different suburbs, in the southwest suburbs, northwest. They, 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 they got all kinds of different things. They've talked about building it demolishing soldier field doing that so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that this is happening in uh the chicago sports world uh, and some might say i'm a chicago sports hater just because i'm a detroit sports fan but that's just my personal opinion looking at that but to, to go with what we're talking about host them hosting a game at lambeau field against wisconsin I mean, it only logically makes sense that they would play wisconsin because why else would you play the game at lambeau field if you're going to host Maryland or whoever it may be, like nobody's going to come watch that. So if it's Wisconsin, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. They can make a ton of money off that. It's probably a brilliant idea because the other thing is too, like if we're being honest, most of the Northwestern game, home games, half the stadium's filled with the other team's fans too. So it's a good opportunity for them to continue that and, Personally, I think that, that they'll end up playing the games at Soldier Field. But with how crazy this whole thing is going, I, who knows? Because it, it's the fact that it's taking this long just makes you scratch your head. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Like Ryan Field for me, I think it represented uh I guess Northwestern standing academically as institution because for me it's like better fit to house an Ivy League team on and that's not an mm-hmm. insult to it. That's just the it's old style architecture. It's not a huge venue, around thirty thousand. But like a lot of people think of Northwestern's academics as an Ivy as Ivy League level academics. Um and it you know, they they're a great school. Certainly they're a great school. Um, with that in mind, though, the whole Ryan Field situation, like you said, like everything about this has been a mess, really. Um, between the different votes, between um everything, like with I think like the noise complaints, like the potential noise complaints, and like um votes about that. It's this has not been without friction. It's almost like this is Aloha Stadium on the mainland, new Aloha Stadium on the mainland with as many hurdles as has been um placed in front of it. Uh, I guess as for um. But like you said, like Soldier Field isn't a great venue, but it's it's what the Bears have. Um, still very uh, still very upset about you know the way it is how they took away a national treasure. But um, again, like you would think that there would be um, that I guess Soldier Field would be the slam dunk option. Of course, with the one game, uh, one Wrigley Field game that Northwestern plays each year or tries to play each year, you would think that it would be a slam dunk by now. Um, which hearing this news about a game at Lambeau Field, much less this isn't Wisconsin moving a home game, this is Northwestern moving a home game. It's alarming to say the least, honestly. Um, definitely alarming. Uh, it's cool though. It's it's a great idea. Like college football Lambeau Stadium is a great idea because Lambeau Stadium mixes the old with the new better than any venue in the NFL. Um, it's it's definitely a change of pace and it's definitely a bucketless venue. So it's cool, but I think for me, it it, it just kind of like goes against the mo- momentum of the program. Like uh, Northwestern mm-hmm. went eight and five. Ben Braun, I, I don't know if he won a coach of the year award. I know he's a finalist for at least a couple of coach of the year awards. Um, I don't know if he won one, but uh, did an amazing coaching job after what happened with the hazing incident um, at Northwestern with uh, Pat Fitzgerald, which I mean, you know, we, we don't we won't go on into detail here. But there's momentum for Northwestern. There's hope for Northwestern. And the Big Ten stacked, yes, but there's like a way for Northwestern to carve that niche as a seven to eight win consistent bowl team each year that can play spoiler in the Big Ten. And then now for this to come out where they're essentially selling a home game to Wisconsin, um, you know, it it, it just kind of hurts that momentum of the program where it's like this isn't the Northwestern that was a laughing stock in 2021 and 2022. Like, this seems like a new respectable Northwestern and this goes against it. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, what they did this year, honestly, is pretty remarkable facing what they were facing and how that whole situation unfolded so close to the start of the season. And it's pretty remarkable what they were able to do. I I believe in the early nineties, Northwestern also uh, kind of had a similar situation where they played Ohio State in Cleveland. Um, I want to say it was like, I want to say I saw that it was 1991, I believe, um, when that happened. So maybe an interesting parallel there. But again, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, when you think Northwestern, everybody thinks the academics that they have. Um, and, and I agree, Ryan Field, I've never been to any of the Ivy League stadiums, but when I look at them and see them on TV, Ryan feels comparable to that. And and I agree with what you're saying that. 
Yeah, and I think it was 1991 that you mentioned where Northwestern was in a situation similar to that, but Northwestern was definitely more hopeless at that point than they are now. Right. Uh, that that was before the Rose Bowl appearance and everything. Um, that was just a couple years rem- removed from not even a couple years. I guess like, I guess a decade or so removed from like the losing streak that they had, um, and, and everything. So definitely hopeless. But it's kind of funny to you mentioned that parallel where it's like I look at that and it's like I kind of think like if they're doing that with um with the Wisconsin game or whatever game it is because they, they haven't officially announced this Wisconsin but with them moving into Lambeau Field uh why wouldn't they move the Ohio State Northwestern game to Cleveland to get draw that big crowd even though I ultimately think that game will be at Soldier Field and be a huge draw like there's nothing stopping Northwestern from doing that this year just to um get that honestly like get that almighty dollar um, and have a crowd full of Ohio State fans playing in Cleveland for like honestly like the second time like of the in the millennium I think, um, so yeah just I mean it it like I think it's just indicative of just everything that's happening in college football in terms of you know just money or where money rules overall, where um you know it's gonna be it's gonna be huge publicity because it's only the second college football game at Lambeau Field ever in like the uh fifty or sixty year history of the stadium. But it won't be a marquee game. It'll definitely be a cash grab slash publicity grab um, for Northwestern. Absolutely. But like you said, I mean, we all know the dollar talks. And that's unfortunately the road that not only college football, but college athletics is going. Yeah, so I mean it's it's a shame, but we will see definitely with uh the, the release of their home schedule. That's something I'm watching closely. Um, because I think I was telling you like that there's just so many um games at NFL stadiums this year, like all the stadium renovation renovations kind of align all at once in a weird way, um, to to make things like that happen this year. So it, it's just an interesting year for games like that. Absolutely. Yeah, so one more thing uh, I wanted to ask your opinion on. Um, I know I know, I wrote a little bit about the uh, – and, and it's something that just came to mind. I just wrote a little bit about the uh, the Pac-12 ball situation. So I wanted to ask Bobby about, like, the whole decision that came down with the, uh, with the Pac-12, how they're going to play in Pac-12 bowl games, yet they're going to avoid Pac-12, I guess – well, not avoid Pac-12 rematches, but, for instance, the Sun Bowl is going to avoid inviting Stanford to avoid that being a conference game between the ACC and the Pac-12. But – Ultimately, as a college football fan, would you love to see, because uh, I guess looking at the way things are, there's the Sun Bowl could be a, a Pac-12 rematch between former conference mates. And I think next year, the Las Vegas Bowl could be the same with it being a Big Ten versus Pac-12 or yeah, Big Ten versus Pac-12 game. So would you like to see, I guess, these rematches with old Pac-12 schools in bowl games, or do you think that kind of like sours the experience of the bowl game? I, I think it actually would, it helps that bowl game even more. Um, getting potentially a historic rivals to play in, in your, in the bowl game, whichever one it may be. I, I think it's, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, it makes, it could make for good TV. Um, from from that perspective, from an entertainment perspective, but I think even more so from a financial perspective for 
for each of those bowls, if, if, if you have an opportunity to play two former conference foes against each other in just a year removed from what was one of the best Pac-12 seasons that we've seen in a long, long time, I, I, th- I think it's fantastic for, for all the sides involved. Yeah, and I, I have to agree a lot because I think I look at a bowl like uh, the Holiday Bowl out in San Diego, which is an ACC Pac-12 matchup, and I think they would be honestly dumb not to invite Stanford or Cal along with, I mean, maybe not a USC, but a UCLA um, or um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess I guess a UCLA, just getting an all-California matchup in the Holiday Bowl at Petco Park. Uh, I think I think they'd be they would be stupid to not do such a thing. Um, in all honesty, and I think like like you said, like um, it would help these bowl games from I think a financial perspective, like in person attendance, but also like TV attend or TV uh viewership too, because uh going off the whole thing about like these matches being manufactured, like I mentioned earlier with the um with the SEC, uh, I think I think a lot of college we're gonna see a lot of college football fans just want the good old days back with um you know these you know just these regionally focused matchups. Um, I think there's going to be a time and place when like seeing USC Penn state, you know, every other year, the big 10 is going to get old when seeing honestly, like looking at the big 12, it's like the big 12. It's hard to really get in, like invested in the big 12, in my opinion, just with it be with there really not being much of an identity to the conference. Um, so, I mean, like with that too, I think, I think if, over the next two years of these bowls, cater, like cater these matchups to the old Pac-12. I, I definitely think that college football fans would enjoy these more um, than a lot of other bowls. I absolutely agree with that. I, it, 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 like you said, fans want, I think the majority of fans want that historical aspect that we've had. And I can speak for myself, like seeing the Pac-12 demise and, and everything that unfolded there, it's, it's so unfortunate. And the, one of the oldest conferences, one of the most historic conferences falling by the wayside just for money. I mean, completely, I mean, everybody knows that. But like you said, I mean, if you can get UCLA versus Cal in San Diego, how big of a deal would that be for both of those fan bases? Obviously, you're not having to travel as far, but at the same time, think of the alumni, alumni base that you have in that area that you would be able to draw so much to that environment. And it, it, it would it would make for, I think it would make for a great game because there's more of a storyline and then it makes for great TV too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like California is a huge state. And I mean, like, I guess from the Stanford and Cal perspective, from them being ACC members, um, I mean, that's not an easy trip, really, going from Berkeley slash the San Francisco area all the way down to San Diego and Petco Park. Uh, that That's definitely one that is an option. Another one as well um, is the, the Sun Bowl, which like to a lesser degree, El Paso is hard to travel to for a lot of the country. I mean, just living down here is not, not really a travel hub, but still the same thing with like a bowl that cares so much about its history, um, with it being on CBS since 1968 and then being the second oldest bowl where that's the, the draw of the Sun Bowl. I mean, it's beautiful down here in El Paso, but I think that's really the true draw of the Sun Bowl as a history. Um, 
just seeing like a an old Pac-12 matchup uh, just to close out this bowl cycle would really um, show everything that the Sun Bowl is all about. Um, so, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Bobby. Absolutely. And I would argue that Tony the Tiger might be the biggest draw, but I, no, I digress. But I, honestly, I mean, I, I've never been to El Paso, but you look at the Sun Bowl and it's one of those historic venues. It really, really is. Uh, and, and and like you're saying, I mean, it, it would be a huge deal to have two programs that have a great history against each other to play in that historic venue. It would just be, it'd be awesome to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think that covers all of our topics for today, Bobby. Uh, is there anything else that you want to discuss or add um, to this podcast? Well, I, I know that you, you love the Northeast football and uh, th that being your neck of the woods, where you're from and everything. And I, I think it's awesome that we've seen uh, recently that Delaware and UConn are going to uh, renew their rivalry. UConn will go to Delaware in 2025. Delaware will come to Connecticut in 2027. Uh, I think it's really, really cool to see two former Yankee conference foes matching up again in uh, Delaware's first season at the FBS level in 2025. Me and my uh, co-host for uh, my podcast, we do, I do a weekly UConn football show <clears throat> because I've been connected with, excuse me, <clears throat> I've been connected with so many people in the fan base and coaching staff and players and everything that I've started to do a weekly show. And uh, I have a former player who joins me every week as my co-host, Pete Callen, who played in the Yankee conference against Delaware. We were talking about that last night on the show and you could tell uh, just how much he, he, I'll put it blank, put it bluntly, how much he hates Delaware. And, and I think it's, it's going to be a mutual thing. I, I think it's going to be really, really good for both programs, but it's going to be really good for Northeast football. Yeah, I, I agree, Bobby. And yeah, I know I did mention that I wanted to talk about that, but I'll, I'll, I'll use this as more of a, of an advertisement for, uh, for your podcast with, uh, with Pete for UConn Husky talk on a TNT college football pod, um, on Spotify. I'm going to listen to it on the way to work tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I think it's great to see his return to, um, to Northeast rivals, especially the Yankee conference rivals too, because something that escaped me is like, I didn't realize that UConn and James Madison were um Yankee conference rivals mm -hmm. too. I know like it's it's been forever that um that UConn has been in you know the F FBS ranks, whether it be in the Big East or like American or now independent. Um but even then like those matchups excite the fan base and I, I really like so I like UConn's approach to independent scheduling more so than UMass's more so than even Arby's too. I know Army tried to have a, a national schedule being the entity that they are. But UConn is focused on, I mean, I, I really feel like they put a focus on catering to Northeast rivalries with like playing Syracuse, who is a common fixture on the schedule. I know the home and home against Boston College was a huge deal as well. Uh, and then, of course, the Delaware game and, and the yearly matchup with UMass. I think I think that's an approach. And I think we'll honestly, despite the shifting tides in college football, we'll definitely see more of a focus on those games. I, I feel like with uh where, where schools are trying to get either a, another home game that excites the fan base um that brings back the nostalgia or a, 
a road game that's just easier to travel to each year. Like, because for Delaware, like, Del- there's going to be years where Delaware's going to have to be traveling to UTEP or New Mexico State, and that 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 definitely is not easy on the fan base um, or easy on the athletic department. So I definitely think we'll see more of those. I mean, I think we're already seeing it now, too, on, on that note, too. I think uh, with Stanford and San Jose State, where for years Stanford wouldn't even touch San Jose State, play them at Spartan Stadium. But or it's not Spartan Stadium anymore at CFCU CF CEFCU Stadium. But now like Stanford Thank and you. San Jose State, yeah, whatever whatever bank acronym, some credit union in the Bay Area. Um, but um, but yeah, like now like Stanford and San Jose State have home and homes where Stanford will travel to San Jose State multiple times because they're a- they're ACC members, and I mean it's just nice to have that road game in the Bay Area that is easy to travel to. Absolutely. And the only reason I know why it's Sefki Stadium is actually because here in central Illinois, Sefki is the major bank in the Peoria area where I live. So side note there. But the interesting thing, like this year for Utah, nine of their 12 games are either at home or in the northeast region. They go to Maryland, which isn't terribly far in the mid-Atlantic, and then they go to UAB and to Duke. So it's really interesting to see the schedule they were able to put together this year and moving forward, they're playing so many local teams. They've done a great job scheduling a bunch of home games, but then at the same time, scheduling Temple, scheduling Buffalo, scheduling Army down the road, uh, Syracuse. You mentioned Boston College the past couple of years, Delaware, of course. Then the FCS opponent that we play is always a local type of school. So it's, and of course, UMass, our rival. It's it's really remarkable what AD Dave Benedict has been able to do uh, when it comes to that with the Northeast environment, and even down the road, we have home and home scheduled with Ole Miss and North Carolina. Uh, I believe it's 2027. Back to back weeks, we're scheduled to play Ole Miss and North Carolina in Hartford. Uh, it's just just an amazing thing for UConn football. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's interesting, too, like, because I haven't looked at their schedules in a long time. Like, I think UConn still has a big use recognition um, mm-hmm. where schools and, and, and also, too, I guess, to a lesser degree as well, just having a chance to play in front of the New York City market. I mean, even though markets are becoming less important as, like, the world kind of converges in this Internet age. But, I mean, UConn still has a lot of New York City alumni uh, slash fans. Um, and I guess playing at Hartford gets a piece of that market, a piece of that viewership. Um, but yeah, like I, I just, I think it's great. I think UConn's approach is great, but of course I do, um, I do, I do wonder how fans feel about games like the rice series where it's like, it's right. no insult to rice's program at all, but it's like, they, I mean, they don't have the most dedicated fan base. This isn't, it's not a program that has um, had seen the most success. And honestly, since, you know, the 19, 19- 60s um and it's like a program that UConn has no history with so I mean I do wonder how UConn fans feel about that I mean so I mean uh, I'll ask you first Bobby you know since you're you're my resident UConn fan friend like I guess how does a series like that make you feel well I mean this year it made me feel great because we, we beat them <laughs> but but I, I I agree with you I mean it it is hard to to look at 
a game like that and to get excited about. But at the at the same time, I mean, it, it was especially this season. It was a really good opportunity for us to get back on track, and we did. Um, you can kind of look at maybe say the UAB game this year and in the future the same way. It's like there's not a history there, but at the same time, a good opportunity to play a rising program. But but again, I. I I agree with you, and I'm with you. With you want to see games predominantly against teams where you have a history or there's some type of connection, uh, just for the fan perspective, because it it brings out uh, maybe some old anim- animosity between the two, just like this Delaware series is going to. I just talking with Pete, my co-host, about it. It's a uh, I know him and a lot of his teammates and other guys from his era playing in the Yankee Conference. There, that game means is going to mean something for sure. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, from the same thing as from RB perspective, joining the American, where it's like, I mean, no insult to our fellow conference base, but it's like easier for me to. Um, be excited about games against UAB, against Memphis, against USF from that old guard of Conference USA when Army was in the conference. You know, as bad as Army was in that conference, there still is that history with those programs. Um, and that history, too, as well, because, I mean, Conference USA was really like the first, I guess, national conference because, I mean, Conference USA started as a hodgepodge of independent schools needing a conference and a bowl tie-in and. Army fit that as well as an independent trying to make it in that age of college football, I guess, in the cable, you know, the, the advent of cable. So it's like easier for me to get excited about like UAB, uh, Memphis, USF, and it is to get excited about, you know, Charlotte. I mean, to a lesser degree, UTSA. UTSA is great. I, I forgot to lump Tulane in that old guard of Conference USA. Um, but yeah, history does help a lot. I mean, especially when you're, um, when there's like not much support, I guess, geographically for uh, in your schedule to um, have a geographically centered schedule that history does mean a lot. I mean, like for me, I, I, I'd be lying if I said, if I was looking forward to um, games against Charlotte FAU, uh, I'm trying to think who else is a, is a startup, I guess like uh, not even a startup, but not that shared history uh, FAU North Texas, as much as it was like with the old conference USA teams. Um, and that's no insult to those pro- programs. It's just, it's just history, you know, college football just thrives off of it. I mean, um in, in a way i feel like a lot of the i feel like a lot of the way we're viewing these schools is as expansion franchises for conferences where it's just like it takes time to build that i guess for lack of a better term hatred and, and whatnot absolutely and it's like we like we said already with the shift that's happening in college football those historical ties and matchups are going to be even more important to fans and, and just everybody, honestly, I mean, we all love college football for different reasons, but I can trace my beginnings to the love of this sport because of my upbringing in Michigan and being around the University of Michigan and learning and growing up to dislike Ohio State. And obviously, that's arguably the biggest scale from historical rivalries, but we can all trace our our beginnings as a college football fan. I would think the most most of us can trace those to 
some type of rivalry or, or, or some type of situation like that. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent, you know, of course, like army as navy, but whatnot, but also too, like growing up, I mean, um with with Yukon. I mean, Yukon being in the big east and then playing army a couple years in the mid two thousands, you know, and army's, you know, really bad years. Um beating Yukon in twenty fourteen meant a lot to me because of that sort of rivalry that was created in my head with UConn being a Big East member. Um, so it, it meant a lot to me. And I mean, e even then too, with like the, the series extending in like 2021 and 2022, it, you know, that, that still was a game that had a lot of meaning um, because of that history. So I guess long story short, I guess the Yankee conference isn't fully back, but it definitely is a boost to the programs involved. Excuse me, the F the FBS programs that are former members of that conference, you know, UConn, Delaware, and James Madison to a degree. Um, so yeah. Uh Bobby, I guess like before we sign off, um, uh, I'm gonna let you use this time to um plug your podcast and any other platform or any anything else that you would want to uh, promote. Well, as always, Omar, I appreciate you <laughs> for allowing me to come on tonight. It's always it's always a blast talking with you and, and, and I, I love our friendship that we have and the conversations that we have uh, off air, even more so when they're not talking about football. And I know how much we love football. Um, <clears throat> but yes, everybody feel free to follow me. Um, at my podcast, uh, X Twitter account is at TNT College Foot One. Uh, the platform I use for distributing it is on Spotify. <clears throat> That's where you can get it for uh audio listening it's it's greatly appreciated all the uh support that i get um, i started doing this a little over three years ago now and it's it's just been an absolute blast to see where it's gone the the national recognition and coverage that i'm able to have and being able to vote for different awards like i get to it's, it's truly a blessing and i don't take that for granted at all yeah, and I mean, I, like I said, I love your podcast. I love listening to it on the way to work. Um, even if it's UConn talk, I've been more invested in the UConn program just because the analysis that you and Pete provide. Uh, and it's just great. It's just I, I really, I really admire how open you are about your faith on on Twitter and everything. And something that I am striving to be um, with my platform and everything. You know, uh, you know, if God gives ears to listen then I just hope I can, you know, sing his praises, you know, eloquently and everything. So, and you, you give me a standard and um, just a role model to admire in that front. So really appreciate that. And like you said, our conversations um, outside of football, just great. They're, they're just, they just enrich me. Well, I appreciate that. And then I, it, it, it took me a little while to get to the point where I'm at now, but, and I'm always growing, but uh, I think, Thank God every day for allowing me to be able to do what I get to do in the platform that I have um, and to give him the glory for that as I am nothing without him. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't say it better, honestly. Um, but thanks again, Bobby, for uh, for joining me and staying up kind of kind of late in the central time zone uh, out here. Um, and I, I can't wait for the next time that we that we talk on the podcast. But for everyone, thanks for uh, the, everyone listening. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, watching on YouTube. Uh, I'm Omar Shambor Borja. I'm the Burger Popper. And until next time, everyone, peace, love, and soul.